This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 237. Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, today joined by Matthew Marister. Hello, Mr. Riley Bowman. How are you? I'm awesome, dude. <laughs> You're always busy, man. Always, always busy. Of course. Life would be boring if you weren't busy doing <laughs> true, something, true. right? Yeah, so busy, busy, busy. This week's episode is busy, busy, busy. We've got all kinds of stories. We have some uh, legislative updates, and the good news is, I think all of these are, are are good news updates this this week. Uh, no new laws getting passed in the last week that we are aware of, uh, and we've got some great justified save stories. One in particular that just kind of really blows my mind, and I mean it, it never ceases to amaze me the lengths that people will go to to do mean things to people. So. You, you you can't possibly prepare for it all. Uh, you just got to do your best to make sure your those skills are sharp. That you're staying aware, and uh, hopefully, hopefully it's not your 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 call your your card isn't the one that's called up on that particular day whenever that whenever it goes down. So anyway, today's episode, by the way, is brought to you by the Happy Birthday America sale. This is uh, specific to Guardian Nation members. So if you're not a member already, you're, you're going to want to check that out, of course, and you can learn more at GuardianNation.com. Each year around the 4th of July, Independence Day, we have a huge sale uh, open to members, and some of the stuff that we sell or give away, yeah, we, we are giving away some stuff too. Everything else or a lot of other things we're giving, we're practically giving away as well. So... Uh, we have got some product that is basically 75% off. Some of this you've probably heard of, maybe you wanted to get your hands on, but you maybe, it, you know, the timing wasn't quite right. You didn't have the funds available. Uh, one cool product that we have in the sale this year. Hang on. Oh, I got it right. I, I got it right here on my lap. GPS handgunner backpack. This thing normally sells for like, I don't know, 100, 150 100, bucks. Yeah, 140, 150 bucks. Somewhere around there. It's an awesome bag, especially for you pistol lovers. You got a organizational compartment where you can put, you can organize four pistols. You got ammo pockets. You got gun cleaning po- pockets. You got pockets for magazines and and eyewear and hearing protection. And I mean, this is an awesome bag. This is what goes with me to the range. Seriously changed the way, like when I carry stuff to the range, it changed everything from lugging like huge bags and multiple bags. You can pretty much fit everything in there that you need. Yeah. You know, and I would go to the range and I would be constantly looking for stuff like where, where's that one little, you know, doohickey, you know, (laughs) and in this bag, like everything that pretty much everything that I need for a simple range trip is in there and it's in an organized fashion. So you know, things are in the, in the same spot every time I know right where to go to find, you know, those doohickeys and whatnot. Right. So, (laughs) um, anyway, that sucker, you can pick it up during sale for basically 75% off. And that's insane. We got the, the, uh, Streamlight TLR seven brand new weapon mounted light. Uh, you know, perhaps you've not even had a chance to see these in the stores yet. We've got them. 
And those are also available for basically 70% off. I don't remember the exact prices on some of the products. But just know I don't even know if you can tell on, on the air what the price is because it's so low. That, that, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I can't. Who knows? I don't know. Somebody else needs to keep me in line and tell me what the rules are. All I know is that the sale is awesome. And that's just a couple of things that we have uh, going on during the sale. But here's the other big thing. If you are a Guardian Nation member and you make a purchase during the sale, or you join Guardian Nation during the sale, you will qualify for an entry. Oh, I just lost. Hang on. I just lost my audio. Okay. <laughs> that was really strange. I've got my audio back. I, I think you could still hear me, but I, I lost everything else. I couldn't hear a, 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 a single thing. So anyway, all right. <laughs> here's, the, here's the big thing, the big catch, all right? The one giveaway that we're doing, like legitimate giveaway. I, I just mentioned a minute ago that um, if you sign up for Guardian Nation during the sale or you are already a Guardian Nation member and you make a purchase during the sale, you qualify for a Guardian Nation 2018 hat for free. So just a little bonus there. So check it out. You can go to happybdayamerica.com to check out the sale. Happy B-Day, you know, like the abbreviation for birthday, right? Happybdayamerica.com. Also, today's episode is brought to you by the Ohio Triple Guardian course opportunity that we have coming up in July. We still have a couple of spots available. Hope to see you there. Get, get signed up right away. You don't want to lo- lose out on the chance to attend with us. Uh, Matthew and, and I will be teaching that together. July 13th to the 15th is the day of that three of those three courses over three days. Uh, come join us, concealedcarry.com forward slash Ohio triple guardian.com. And so Matthew, should we yes, do sir. this week's case of the week? I think we should. Okay. <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah. It's a pretty interesting they case. Normally are. They normally are. You know, th- this is one of those things where it's like, wh- when is taking self-defense too far? It, halfway through this, you're going to be like, oh, I see where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> it gets, it gets, well, so there was an initial, is that what you're talking about? Like initially I'm like, oh, that's not good. And then it gets yeah. better. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, guys. So here you go. Stay tuned. Uh, pulling it up. Here we go. Case of the week from Andrew Branca, Law of Self-Defense. Thanks for joining us for the Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. This case of the week is unusually not an appellate court decision, but rather a recently concluded trial out of Louisiana, which was brought to my attention by one of our Law of Self-Defense instructor program graduates. I felt it raised some interesting legal issues. The case involves a homeowner who successfully disarms a home invader and then seizes defeat from the jaws of victory by exceeding the boundaries of lawful self-defense. Aaron Neems was the homeowner defendant in this case, and he was away from his home when the invasion took place. The home invader and the victim in this case was one Benjamin Giroux, and he entered the defendant's home armed with a rifle and the intent to rob the defendant. Although the defendant was not home, three other people were at the premises, and the home invader fired his rifle into the sofa on which they were sitting in order to compel their compliance with the robbery. The home invader took their cell phones and was rummaging through the house for valuables when the defendant returned home. 
Confronting the defendant, the home invader fired a rifle round into the floor at the defendant's feet, again in an effort to compel compliance, but things quickly went sideways for the home invader. The defendant and others in the home managed to disarm the home invader of his rifle. They produced a pistol of their own, and they forced the home invader to his knees and began pistol whipping him about the head. Somehow, the home invader manages to escape from the defendant's home in this beating and runs outside and gets into his car. Right up to this point, we have a pretty big self-defense and defense of others win. Having neutralized a long gun armed home invader and expelled him from his premises, all without getting anyone shot or killed. Although, granted, the pistol whipping likely goes a bit too far. Unfortunately, then things go sideways for the homeowner solely as a result of poor decision making on his part. Rather than simply allow the home invader to drive away and call the police to report the home invasion, the defendant followed the home invader outside to his car and fired six rounds into the vehicle, striking the now fleeing home invader in the elbow and arm. Ultimately, the jury found the defendant guilty not of attempted second-degree murder, but of the lesser-included charge of attempted second-degree manslaughter, and a few days ago, he was sentenced to three years in prison. So what are the take-home lessons from this case? First, perhaps not surprisingly, the defendant here was targeted by the home invader in the first place because the defendant was apparently a drug dealer from whom the home invader had made previous purchases. Just a couple of months prior to his trial, the defendant was reportedly arrested with a pound of marijuana, which I'm told is quite a bit of weed. Drug dealers are pretty attractive robbery targets because they tend to have lots of drugs and cash on hand, and they tend not to want to report a theft of their drugs to the police. So first thing, don't be a drug dealer. Second, much of the media coverage of this case carried headlines asserting that this case, quote, tested the limits of Louisiana stand your ground laws, close quote. If you're pursuing somebody after they no longer represent a threat, stand your ground is entirely irrelevant. Stand your ground does not equal pursuit of a neutralized threat. Third, the law of self-defense allows the use of defensive force against an imminent threat meaning a threat that's actually taking place or immediately about to take place. And you can continue to use force so long as the threat continues to be present or imminent. Once the threat has been neutralized, however, either by your use of defensive force or simply because the threat is fleeing, your privilege to use force has ended. Indeed, once the former attacker is in flight, He's arguably regained his innocence for use of force purposes moving forward, and the pursuer has now become the aggressor in a second confrontation. That means that other person who's running away can now justify their use of force in resistance to you as self-defense, whereas you cannot justify your use of force against them any longer. Fourth, the defendant was found guilty by a 10-2 jury vote. Now, in 48 states, you can be found guilty of a felony only if the jury unanimously agrees that the prosecution has proven each and every element of the criminal charge beyond a reasonable doubt. If your defense attorney can raise a reasonable doubt in even one juror's mind, you end up with a hung jury and a mistrial. Now, you can always be tried again by the prosecutor after a mistrial, but at least you haven't been convicted yet. In Louisiana, where this trial took place, however, and also in the state of Oregon, Felony convictions can be achieved by a supermajority jury vote of 10 out of 12 jurors, which means the prosecution can afford to have as many as two jurors have a reasonable doubt of guilt and still obtain a conviction. That obviously makes things much easier for the prosecution and much more challenging for the defense. 
Fifth, you may be familiar with the doctrine of the fleeing felon, which was discussed in the U.S. Supreme Court case of Tennessee versus Garner, one of the famous U.S. Supreme Court cases around police use of force. But even there, you have to keep in mind the doctrine requires that the person who's fleeing still represent a threat. In this particular case, the home invader had been disarmed of his weapon. There was no evidence from which one could infer he was still armed and he was fleeing and therefore no longer a threat. Finally, if you'd like to read more about this case and the underlying events, which took place in Walker, Louisiana, simply point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Walker, W-A-L-K-E-R. If you enjoy this content, I invite you to join us for the Law of Self-Defense live show every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's totally free to either participate live or to watch the recording after each show. For more information, point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash show. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. There you have it. Another great case analysis from attorney Andrew Brankup. <clears throat> this one's interesting, right, Matthew? Because what we were just talking about a minute ago is initially you're listening and they disarm this intruder. And I mean, <laughs> this has got to be a pretty scary situation, right? Because he fires rounds towards, you know, in the direction of these individuals in this home. Uh, so he's being very, very violent, very aggressive. And they disarm him. And at some point, a handgun is also presented, and they pistol whip him with the handgun after they forced him to his knees. <laughs> right? Good like, that, that's the first part. You're like, dang, like, that's probably a little too far there, guys. All right, you know, tone it down just a little because, you know, like, once, once you've disarmed him and he's, you know, he, he's not going anywhere and you, you're holding him at gunpoint, I guess, whatever okay, that might be a good place to, to just leave it until police arrive. Uh, but then it gets better, you know, when the defendant of that case uh, goes after him outside and, sh- you know, fire shots at him. So, yeah, good example of what not to do. Yeah, it, I mean, I think, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse here. I think everybody kind of sees where this guy kind of goes wrong. Um, but, like, as I was listening to this, like, this is the third time I've listened to it, but... Um, I was thought, you know, what's kind of interesting is the bad guy gets back in his car, right? And drives away. So it's pretty cool that he drove his car to go commit this armed robbery at this dude's house. And he's like, Hey, I'll just park and, you know, I'll park right out front. I'm going to commit this armed robbery. And luckily he has his car there so he can get away. He didn't, you know, try to park down the street or, or, you know, do have somebody drop him off or anything. He just, just cruise his car right up there. Yeah, drug drug dealers and people that rob drug dealers and other bad guys normally <laughs> they're not the most uh criminally sophisticated at times. But uh yeah. Yeah. this was a good one. Well, you know, like the, the and I just read the news story right there as we were listening to the case, you know, and he went to rob this guy because he he had a, a drug debt to pay back. So <laughs> <laughs> rob one drug dealer to pay back another one i guess yeah. oh winners all winners yeah so if you want to learn more about uh, uh law of self-defense i would highly encourage it i'm a big fan of andrew's book it's uh very comprehensive and it's i think frankly the best thing out there 
for you know one one for somebody okay one to study uh, self-defense law and really up your game in that regard that's really critical i think to have a good grasp of the laws so you can go to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash uh i believe it is hold on it's lawofselfdefense.com oh i know what i i'm giving you the let me give you another link concealedcarry.com forward slash l o s d that's what i meant to give you then <laughs> we would appreciate that 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 uh We'll support the podcast if you use that link and uh, give Law of Self-Defense some love. It'll give us some love in return as well. So thank you. Appreciate that. All right. Let's get to our first legislative update. Pennsylvania. Last week, we talked about the uh, General Assembly considering passing several anti-gun bills. And we're happy to report that... The committees involved with reviewing those bills did not take action on those. They were not brought up for, uh, well, excuse me, they were passed out of committee, but they did not get to the floor for debate or a vote. Okay. So the interesting thing there is that they were passed out of committee um, and now not all of them. There was, I think there were six bills being considered. Two of them were passed through committee. That tells you, by the way, in a, Republican-controlled House in a Republican state currently, Pennsylvania, that the extreme risk protection orders was able to get through committee, and also HB House Bill 1872, which is the one that had to deal with accelerate what they call in quotations accelerated trigger activator, meaning any device that enables an increase in firing rate through your trigger. Those got through committee, a Republican committee. So I was kind of like, okay, that's kind of not cool. But then again, they got through committee, never made it to the floor. All right. So those are defeated, at least you might think. Um, Since those have been passed through committee, those two bills could very quickly and very easily be brought back before the House in the fall when they re- um, assemble. So when they come back from their uh, adjournment. So it's, you know, it's one of those things like, okay, I'm happy to report that nothing happened yet in Pennsylvania. No laws are passed further restricting gun rights. uh, But the battle there is not yet over as it is not over in many other states as well. Yeah. And I I think, you know, why this was so important is kind of like right before they, you know, they closed down for the session, everybody's trying to sneak stuff in under the radar and just have people kind of just, okay, we'll just vote just so we can get out of here and stuff. And that's always a kind of the concern. Um, And it was good that, you know, it didn't go that route. Um, But it doesn't mean that they're out of the woods over there, just kind of delays the next round of, you know, whenever they want to re, yeah. re uh, fire up this fight by the way this is not unheard of for them to use a tactic like this on on things that might be somewhat controversial is to get something through committee adjourn okay take no action on the floor of the house or senate or whatever it might be and then when they reconvene later on pick that up and before anybody's the wiser and in sock coming bam you know, pass that right on through. So in other words, we would encourage you to keep a close eye on your current state of affairs legislatively 
in Pennsylvania, let your senators, your house representatives, your, your representatives, everybody that you could think of to contact, contact them, let them know of your uh, thoughts and feelings on or against these bills. Okay. Next legislative update out of Columbus, Ohio. So I think you should take the lead on this one, sir. Yeah. So this one, um, uh, there was a, uh, a temporary restraining order granted by a, a judge um, that banned a law that Columbus, uh, the city of Columbus put in to ban bump stocks. Um, in Ohio, we have preemption laws and other states do preemption laws. Uh, basically, um, the, the cities can't make an enact a law that is more restrictive on gun rights than other laws kind of creating this patchwork of, you know, gun laws where you're in this city and this is illegal, you're in that city, uh, that's illegal, um, or it's not illegal. So, um, so the judge put a temporary restraining order blocking the enforcement of that law. So it doesn't mean that it's, you know, it, it's not going to, uh, it, it has to become, it, it will be resolved one way or the other. It'll be, you know, uh, said that, it, you know, it's, it's in violation of, of preemption and, and, um, it, you know, it's not, not constitutional or, um, they'll, you know, move forward and be able to, to enforce it. But at least for now, it's not in, um, being enacted. So we're enforced. So, which is kind of cool, but it's, it's not good because Columbus is a huge city. And if, if you're familiar with the area, you know, it incorporates a ton of outlying, you know, uh, rural areas and, and, um, and it's just, it's very complicated. So you could be in violation without even really knowing it. And that's kind of the, the whole purpose of these preemption laws. Well, let me tell you about preemption. Uh, and by the way, be, let me let me back up just a little bit. First of all, the two laws. Did you talk about the two laws? What they uh, were? No, I'm sorry. Yeah. So bump bump stock ban was one. Okay. So the city of Columbus uh, chose to outlaw bump stocks, and also carrying a gun while under disability. Uh, which that's just weird to me. I, I mean. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, I mean, when we talk about slippery slope, this is, these are great examples of just how easily you go down that slope and things, I mean, usually there's unintended consequences that come as a result of passing laws like this. And that's why you had Ohioans for Concealed Carry and the Buckeye Firearms Foundation, both firing lot, firing, filing lawsuits um, against these laws. And fortunately, you know, they received a temporary, I've never heard it used this way, by the way, temporary restraining order. I'm familiar with, what's the other term? To, an injunction or? Yeah, an injunction. Yeah, thank you. I was like, temporary restraining order? I don't know. <laughs> never heard it used in that context. Maybe it's a, the, the writer of this article that got it wrong. I don't know. But this was a Franklin County thing. Okay, so, all right, for right now, there's a, there's a we'll say, an injunction in place against these laws. That could change very quickly if you get a, uh, a judge you know, at the next level, that's a little bit more favorable uh, towards these anti-gun laws. Um, speaking of, what well, I was going to talk about uh, preemption laws. Okay, so let me tell you how well that's worked here in Colorado. <laughs> Colorado has a preemption statute and has had for a long time. And a number of years ago, Denver passed laws that were stricter than the state laws dealing with open carry, also with 
assault weapons and magazine capacities. And the Denver city of Denver was sued and the organization or people or individuals that, that uh, filed that lawsuit. Ultimately that, that loss Denver, the city of Denver won. And, you know, just cause we had a liberal court that didn't uphold the preemption statute. <laughs> so what has that done? That's opened up a can of worms here where, now we have the city of Boulder doing the same thing, pulling the same crap, uh, and they are emboldened to do so. And almost any other s- city or county uh, or jurisdiction in the state is more emboldened to be able to do this. That's that's the danger of what can happen when you get courts and justices that don't understand the constitution of their own state sometimes, right? So or federally for that matter. So anyway, yeah, that's how well it's going here. And that's why we have at least two jurisdictions now where it's very easy. And I suspect it happens all the time. And most of the time, probably nothing happens and people just don't realize that they're passing through a jurisdiction where whatever they have with them or in the vehicle is illegal to possess. And it's very easy to do anywhere in or around the Denver area uh, because of how ridiculous the, the the city boundaries of Denver are, you want to talk about gerrymandering? Like that's what it looks like. It's like worst case scenario, gerrymandering, you know, the, the boundaries are just insane. Um, there's a, there's a place not too far South of me where you cross, you pass through Denver uh, like a mile wide. Cause there's this little arm that just sneaks its way out, way out West here. I'm on the West side. <laughs> and you're passing through Denver and you have no idea. There's not even, I've never even, I don't think there's a sign that says welcome to Denver. Well, I, I, I know when I was out there for the, the uh, guardian uh, pistol classes, we were coming back from the range and I, you know, I'm not from Denver. I don't even know, you know, all the laws and everything there. Um, should have checked my app, but um, <laughs> so we, we stopped to get gas and, and you know, we didn't even realize we're like, Oh, you know, we're in Denver. We can't open carry out here. We can't, you know, we have to, uh, we have to uh, conceal our firearms and stuff. So it was like, you know, it's just, it puts, it puts legal law abiding citizens who are trying to do what's right in a, in a situation where they easily can be mistaken, um, you know, and and end up violating the law. And so it's, it's, it's preemption laws are there for a purpose, you know, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, that's funny because I'm going to throw Jacob under the bus just a little bit because, you know, we taught those classes and I was I was surprised for the guy that says he doesn't open carry. He was open, open carrying that night after after class. We went out to dinner and he was totally, you know, just show, strutting his stuff and showing off that gun on his hip. Anyway, I don't know anything about it? <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly right. Though you got to watch that stuff. It's so easy to end up in another, you know, in the next city or next county, and not not maybe realize, uh, especially when you're not familiar with the area. And bam, you could be arrested and thrown in jail for something that you didn't know was a violation of law. That's why it's so critical to understand the laws, and also very critical to make sure you have the latest version of guess what, the concealed carry gun tools app. Now. To be fair, just because it's 
it would be ridiculously hard to, to do. We don't have all the local jurisdiction laws. All of the uh, if there's if there are laws specific to a city or county, it's not in the app. Okay, we have state law summaries. Okay, I wish I could say we had everything. It's just so hard to do that and to stay on top of it all, right? But uh, it is, I th- still think, a very helpful tool to have with you at all times on your phone. The f- best, I think, in the industry re- resource where it comes to this stuff, Concealed Carry Gun Tools app, where you can go to the Maps tab on the bottom and then select the Laws tab on the top. And that'll get you to the, le- to the Laws summary for all the 50 states. Okay, so here's some good news coming out of New York. Uh, and the good news is that some anti-gun bills there failed to pass. Uh, in uh, Albany, of course, which is the, the capital of the state of New York, um, their legislative session is wrapped up. And there were several bills up for consideration, including red flag legislation, uh, which is kind of the, uh, what's the word, the the hot term, the you know, that everyone's throwing around right now, uh, dealing with extreme risk protection orders and similar legislation. Um, so that did not get through. Governor Cuomo really wanted red flag legislation and it did not pass. Another thing that they uh, were trying to get passed was micro stamping. And I, I think micro stamping is one of the dumbest, d- dumbest possible things you could do, <laughs> Matthew, because Number one, I mean, I, <laughs> it's easy to defeat. Uh, all you really got to do is replace your firing pin, right? Uh, because my, what micro stamping is, is when a firing pin strikes a primer, it's got some micro stamp on that pin, is my understanding, and it leaves a micro stamp identifying a cartridge case with a particular firearm. Thus, apparently, making it easier for them to serve to serve to solve crimes. Well, I'm struggling today with with all my words, and uh, you know, besides the fact that one, you could maybe pick up the brass casings that your gun injects. Uh, that'd be one way to defeat stuff like this, or you could shoot revolvers. That would solve the, the problem. Or you could just not comply, <laughs> like most criminals that uh, probably pick up guns illegally, and thus they might very well just pick up illegal micro-stamping guns, or they uh, physically or mechanically alter the firearm so the micro-stamping does not function, does not work. Yeah, so I mean... A, it's a dumb law. Everywhere yeah. it's been proposed, it's it's stupid. It makes no sense to me. Because it's, 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 it's completely impossible to enforce. And, and once again, the only people that are going to abide by that are the people that say, okay, well, I have a bad firing pin. Now I have to get a new firing pin for my firearm. Um, now I have to go through this process of paying to get my new firing pin registered with the state or the FBI or however they're going to track that. Um, and it's like when somebody could just, I mean, if you're, if you know how to do anything with metal, you could probably fabricate a firing pin for most, you know, for a 1911 and and many other guns. I mean, it's not that difficult. So like, I I just don't, none of these laws do anything that that is actually going to help or, or, or solve crimes or, or do what they, what they're enacted to do. So it's just, it's one of those things that's just ridiculous. Yeah. And it'll increase costs. Oh, of course. Buying citizens. 
right? And yeah, so are we surprised that the state of New York would consider legislation like this? No. Um, I'm glad that it didn't pass, but keep in mind, you know, that uh, it could pass down the road. Like this gives you a preview of what's in the minds of your representatives. Okay. But, but what, what, I th- what they're working towards. It, and we cover that every single week. Right. And like, and I know we even had some listeners say, you know, don't you guys ever talk about anything good? And this week was actually good. And, and I, I've been saying it for a while. Um, the pendulum is, is, has to swing back because it's been so out of whack with some of these laws and proposals and, and, and legislation that's being, you know, try to be, uh, hammered on, on gun owners. Um, and, and I don't want to say, I don't want to say like, you know, awake the sleeping giant or, you know, poke the bear, but what's ended up happening is people are seeing this and it's gotten so unpalatable for, for most people that they're now, um, kind of really pushing back. And, you know, the article uh, basically says that had it not been for, um, for all the uh, opposition to these bills, they might've passed. And because of constant emailing and and letters and calls to um, legislators, um, they finally just said, you know, we, we can't afford to spend the, the political capital to go against the people that we're representing and, and all those Republicans that are, you know, supposedly pro-gun, but, you know, if they feel the tide shifting will flip over and, and, you know, acquiesce to these laws, they're saying we can't do it because our base is holding us accountable. And I think that's so important um, to think about that is you do have a lot of uh, influence and, and you have to use it. You have to wield your influence to your legislators because if they don't, if they don't feel any, any pushback, they will just continue to take the path of least resistance. And if it is uh, micro stamping or the next stupid bill, they'll just, you know, they'll just do it. And uh, so, Yeah. That's why we can't let our guard down. We're telling you all this good news this week, right? The ne- and the next one is out of Delaware. Last week, we talked about uh, an assault weapons ban bill in Delaware. The good news this week is that it did not pass. The bad news, the bad news is the fight is not over, <laughs> right? And that's what we're talking about here. So there you go. That's the other, other uh, piece I wanted to, to share with you uh, that the, According to NRA ILA, the gun ban bill being considered Senate Bill 163 in Delaware um, and strongly supported by Governor Carney there uh, did not pass and get to the floor for consideration. So kudos to those of you in Delaware that were part of that fight and kept that from succeeding. And I'll just say, I think one of the most, and I've had the opportunity to, to do this. Uh, one of the most effective things, more than even phone calls and emails, and I know everybody is busy and not everybody has the ability to do this, but more important than all those things is to personally ask for a meeting with your representative and to meet with them face-to-face to share your concerns and or ideas or objections to things that are going on uh, in your state or local government. That is I think I wish more people would do that because now they may not grant you that meeting, 
Um, and if that's the case, then you find some other way to, to get your, your word through to them. Um, and you let people know too, that they wouldn't talk with you about an important issue. If if legislators are dodging, uh, their constituents and avoiding the hard conversations, then they shouldn't be our representatives, right? These people are from our communities, from our towns, our cities, our, our, our counties, and they go to our state legislatures to represent us. And thus, they, they have the responsibility to hear from us. And I just believe even more than just sending emails and phone calls, although we should do those too, especially where uh, the other alternative is not available, but it's just more powerful to actually talk to these people one-on-one. Where possible, okay. So, just just keep that in mind. Let's uh, let's move on now to some other news, Matthew. <clears throat> this one I thought was a really interesting story that you pulled out. And initially, I was like, "Well, okay, you know, this is kind of deep. I don't know if we're gonna, you know, really have the time to go into this, and we may still not have the time. I don't know, but we're gonna talk about it anyway." Because there was something that really jumped out at me in this story. So this story is from, once again, the NRA ILA. And it says, study finds fewer people willing to answer questions about gun ownership. And this is kind of where I was like, yeah, okay, that doesn't surprise me. So big whoop, right? But if we dive into this a little bit, there's some really interesting data in this article. Okay, so just to avoid butchering some of the finer details, I'm going to read some of this here. So it says this, that according to Iowa State University political scientist Robert Urbach, he analyzed data from the General General Social Survey and found that the number of people refusing to answer a question about gun ownership roughly tripled since the year 2000. The increase appears steady from the year 2000 through 2016. Uh, I got my printer going off for some reason. (laughs) The increase appears steady from the year 2000 through 2016. And Urbach found that the increased non-response rate concentrated among Republicans, although the rates among Democrats and independents also increased. Coincidentally, Pew recently confirmed that gun ownership is far more common among Republicans, meaning the people driving the increase in the GSS question refusals are also those most likely to own a gun. Go figure. Remember how, and I think maybe you're already thinking this, Matthew, but we've talked a couple of times about polls from Gallup and Pew Research, and I've made the comment that I don't believe what we're seeing in those polls. And this is, I think, the reason why. And that's where, as I was going through this article, I was like, oh, man, you you are speaking to me, brother. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we've talked about it. And, and this kind of just, you know, it just kind of explains um, what we've kind of been saying as far as like, it, these polls, they, they, they only reflect what the information that the people want to give and only reflect the information from the people that are polled. And sometimes they'll say, well, we, we poll Republicans, we poll Democrats, we get a full. Right. But if the question is either a phrased in a way that is confusing, right. Or misleading, you get misleading or confusing results. Or if you're talking about a, a, a topic that is so divisive, right? That like, 
think of think of this. We get we put a post on you know uh, the the Facebook page and say, hey, how do you you know um, where do you keep your gun at night? And how many? I would say seventy five percent of the responses are, I'm not telling you anything. Like you don't need to know. This is my you know like I, I don't need to answer those questions. And that's just a simple question on Facebook that you know we're trying to compile. you know, a pie chart of, uh, of, uh, information, but now think about, Hey, I, you, you pick up the phone and you get, I'm pollster from such and such. Um, do you own a firearm? You know, where do you keep it? Where do you do? What do you think about gun laws? And you think most people, if they do have, you know, the people that are against firearms or, or don't own firearms, they're, yeah, I don't own a firearm. I'm not one of those crazy people. Right. But Mm -hmm. the people that do have firearms are going to be like, Hmm, I'm not going to get, put on some list or my right. number flagged or anything like that. I'd just say, you know, I don't have a firearm or I don't want to talk it and you know, whatever. And so that's kind of like what we've been saying is these figures, when they say most gun owners are for gun control or for this or that. And it's like, no dude, like you guys are not getting the information. You're getting the information you want. You're not getting the actual information. Yep. So <laughs> to that point right here, this is really good. Uh, it talks about, and I'm, I'm sharing my screen for those of you on Facebook. Okay. So here is this data uh, from a Gallup poll and it says, and this is really small. So you guys can't see this. Uh, in fact, I could barely see it on my own screen. I, I have to get up really close here. Okay. So, so look right here. I, if you can see my mouse on this chart, it's showing right at about it's a, what is it? There's May 1993. Okay, so, so you see this. there's this drop right here and a sudden increase. So here's the, the summary on this, all right? Notice the sharp increase after 1993, right around the time Congress was working on a major gun control effort, the 1994 assault, assault weapons ban. In December 1993, less than 0.5% of respondents refused to answer that question. In July 1996, the next time the question was asked, 2% of respondents refused. The number acknowledging they had a gun in their household dropped from 49% to to 38% in the same time period. The percent refusing first hit the percent refusing first hit 4% in October 2009, then hit 4% again in October 2013 and October 2014, when anti-gun politicians controlled both the White House and the Senate. The number of refusals dropped from 2016 to 2017. A simple trend line does not indicate causation, but one major difference between 2016 and 2017 was the political outlook. In 2016, there was a concern that a historically anti-gun politician could win the presidency. By October 2017, President Trump had secured the White House. So politics is, you know, who is in office essentially and what's going on politically on the national level is having potentially an impact, and I think this is very likely, on the willingness of individuals, of people, to answer certain questions regarding guns. And like you said, there there's people that are afraid of being identified or listed somehow uh, that some sort of data is out there somewhere that identifies them as having guns. And that's a completely understandable. I'm not necessarily that paranoid personally. And I don't know if it's fair to compare it to paranoia. Um, I don't know. But 
but it is understandable why people are hesitant about these types of questions. And to- I, I totally understand. Now, this one's really interesting. This is looking about at the positive responses. Those who admit there is a gun in their household. This is a really valid question. Does anyone really believe that gun ownership rates dropped 10 points from December 93 to July 1996 and then regained six points between that July and November 1996? So just in like five, four or five months. So this is what we're looking at here. We're seeing this huge drop and, and, uh, basically over a period of three years and then suddenly in a matter of months jumps back up six percent six percent then it drops substantially again thereafter and it jumps right back up uh, i don't know if that's related to anything but this is really interesting is when you look at what's going on politically in the country at that time and, and this is a very fair question to ask like i suspect matthew gun owners are relatively flat like actual gun owners you do have some that probably um sell their guns, you know, and they become a non, you know, a former gun owner. Okay. But are people flocking by the thousands to sell all their guns away? Uh, no, I, I think that you, that's far less likely to see than it is likely to see thousands of people over a given time period actually buying guns, uh, probably due to some sort of fear or something going on. Um, my point is, is that these fluctuations that you see, are likely a result of bad data because of the, the the sample, the people that they're actually asking that are, that are an, actually answering the questions, as opposed to the actual results. And so, when we've had these questions uh, that we've talked about on the podcast from you know that Gallup or other research centers have asked, and I say I just don't buy that ninety percent of gun owners are okay with universal background checks. Uh. Uh-uh. It's not true. It's because 90% of those that actually agreed to answer your questions might have been, and I'll tell you there, and this is why we try not to get terribly political on this podcast, because I recognize like we're, we're much bigger, you know, in, in that we want to, uh, what, what I, what I am passionate about is gun is all gun owners. All right. You might be on the opposite side of the aisle from me. You might be ideologically different from me, religiously different, whatever. I don't care. If you're a gun owner and you're passionate about self-defense, then you're my friend, right? However, I do recognize that there are some gun owners, there are actually many gun owners out there that are gun owners that like guns, that believe in, you know, they, at least they say they believe in the second amendment and that, that's, you know, whatever they believe that the second amendment means to them, they believe that, Okay. But they're also okay with some of these more, what we would consider to be a more extreme measures of, of uh, gun control. All right. And then that's understandable too. It's understandable that there are people of all sorts of different backgrounds and beliefs that also happen to own guns. And you will find those people and they will answer your questions. And, it will, and, that, and that, will, that will change the data. Okay, that'll buy. That'll create a bias in the data set, and uh, I think that's what we see when we look at these at these polls. And that's why I get frustrated when I see new, other news outlets and media reporting. Well, or politicians, they use it all the time. They throw it in our face. This much percentage of gun owners are okay with this, 
And that is an attempt to put all the rest of us out on the fringe to make, which, which actually, in all honesty, I believe the majority of gun owners are not okay with most things that are proposed. A few are. But they yeah. would have you believe that it's the opposite. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the tactic. Data. Yeah, it's a, that's their tactic. And, you know, that's why they always, you, you'll always see like these, these uh, videos of people cutting up AR-15s and turning them in to show, to like show, see, like it's so bad that like even regular gun owners, like the real ones, the ones that aren't crazy like you are willing to cut open their, you know, their AR-15s and make short barreled <laughs> rifles in, you know, on, on Facebook live. Those are the normal people. You are like completely out of your mind. And those are just very few and far between people. The most of the people that get polled in these polls are just like, man, don't ask. I don't, I don't, I don't want to tell you because I don't know what you have in store for me. I don't know what next legislation you're going to, you know, uh, come up with to penalize me for answering a question that, yes, I, I want to be able to own a firearm on a, on a phone call, you know, like, so yeah, it's, it's kind of feeding their, their, uh, they're, they believe that there's an out, they want an outcome with these polls. They get the data and it, it substantiates what they want, but they're not looking at how are we getting this data? It's totally flawed. They're just like, oh, well, it confirms what we want it to confirm. So let's go, let's run with it. Yep. Some comments here, by the way, from Tristam. He says, um, I've had random VA personnel start conversations about guns with me out of nowhere. And I know that you're not alone in having that experience. And that's not cool. Also, gun owners are regularly vilified in the media. Yeah, it's true. Speaking of gun owners and the media, I'm going to jump ahead uh, just a touch here, Matthew, to this story about Trump's AIDS. Hmm. Right? Yeah, not AIDS like AIDS. <laughs> Abbreviate or uh, acronym. It's not acronym AIDS. We're talking about his, his assistants or his his people that work for and under him, Trump's aides. And by this, I mean, a good example is um, uh, his press secretary, uh, uh, Sarah Sanders, Sarah Sanders. I was like, I know it's SS. (laughs) Anyway, so Sarah, I know I saw a story where she went to some restaurant and the owner of that restaurant would not let her eat there because he knew who she was and was not okay with somebody that works for Trump coming into the, into that restaurant. Um, we've got uh, Maxine Waters, right? Representative Maxine Waters uh, saying some pretty inflammatory stuff. <laughs> she said this, get this. Uh, where did it go? I had it pulled up. My, my computer is being a little bit laggy today, dude. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, I, it's jumping all over the place. It, my, my screen literally will not, hold, will not hold position. This is really strange. So maybe you'll have to cover for me. What I know is that Maxine Waters basically said, you people need to get out there and harass these people, harass uh, these supporters and these aides of Trump uh, you know, when they go out in public. Harass them. Find them. Hunt them down. We had another lady. I can't remember who it was. One of the folks that worked for Trump went to some restaurant and people found her there and were, you know, cursing at her and saying all kinds of rude stuff towards her. So we got all this going on, right? And 
the question is, you know, number one, like what, why are we, why, why are we doing this to ourselves in this country? It's amazing to me that we are willing in this time and age, Matthew, to, to, to just beat ourselves apart, you know, like, it, it's terrible. It's it. We've we've lost the 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 idea that people are people, and that they might have a different ideological belief or political belief, but they're still people. And and you know they're not. And it's not like other countries where we have a totalitarian regime that's like murdering people, and you're on either on that side. Or you're on like the resistance, right? And you're like trying to break free from this, you know, this camp that's like destroying lives of everybody in its wake. Um, We're not, I mean, we may be politically different, you know, Republicans, Democrats, far right, far left, but it's less different than, you know, we're not that far apart. Like, yes, politically, yes, but we're still people. We're still, you know, value life and things like that. And the the problem is, is it's become acceptable to hate people based on nothing more than their political preference. And that's no different, really, if you look, if you break it down, that's no different than hating people based on where they live, what color skin they have, what uh, religion they are, um, what color, you know, shirt they have on. Like it, it, it makes no sense because you're, you're looking at some, something that doesn't have anything to do with that person. Um, and, and so w- w- I, the problem I had with what she said, Maxine Waters was that like, she encouraged people to basically make it so other people that don't agree with what she agrees with or believes in, are uncomfortable being out in public, are unfree or not free to go about and live their lives, whether they're hurting anybody or not. She said, you know, make them feel uncomfortable, push back, make sure that they don't feel like they have, they, they deserve to be out here uh, out in public. And it's like, yeah. really, that is, that is the scariest thing coming from a, a, an official, a person who is a U.S. representative. Exactly, right? She has a great deal of responsibility in that type of position and is using her power and influence to encourage people to be, what I would say is uncivil, absolutely uncivil. And she doubled down on it after she held that press conference afterwards and doubled down. Here's the quote. She said, if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd and you push back on them and you tell them they're not welcome any, anymore, anywhere. I mean, that is, that, that's short of, that, that is like one line short of calling for, you know, them to be strung up and, and you know, run out of town. Yep. You know, that, that, that is yep. completely uncivil. It's, un, it's unethical. It, it's not right. Right. And, and she doubled asked, down on it. That's why I asked the question. Like, why are we beating ourselves up, you know, as a country? Uh, I know that there those on the other side that would say that, you know, that the right did similar things to the left when Obama was in power. Um, I, I don't know if it was ever quite to this extent. 
It is, I don't recall anything quite this brazen, this much out in the open where representatives, maybe a few things here and there, but mostly, I mean, this just seems to be all in the last year or two where it's just getting much more in your face. Like we, we're getting used to seeing this all the time. Well, uh, the, this, this uncivility. There, now, there had, they, uh, not to cut you off, but there were some, uh, I saw some Democrats come out and say like, well, you know, you remember, um, I forget the the, the uh, senator's name that yelled, you lied at President Obama. And that was like kind of justification, like, oh, well, you guys were, were decivil. You know, there are instances where people are decivil amongst each other, but I don't recall call like a, a representative or somebody that was in sort any sort of uh, leadership role or power calling for basically an attack of like anybody associated with president Obama or anybody associated with, you know, a, 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 the democratic party. Like if, you know, any, basically if you're walking down the street and you have a Trump shirt on your base, you, you should accept that you are not welcome. That's what she's saying. You, you you should accept that you're not welcome. And if anybody wants to gather around you and scream at you, whether you have your family with you, whether you're you're doing anything, you're at church, you're with your child, you're you're doing anything, you should accept it because that's that's what their duty is. They have to do that. It's just it's it's terrible. Yep. Now the bigger issue, though, we, we, I'm afraid we've gotten. <laughs> a little bit too political here, Matthew. So I'm going to bring it back. Real me. Um, even though you and I, I mean, we agree, and we agree probably with most of our listeners, I'm sure, but but I know we have some listeners that may not necessarily agree on the politics side of it. That's fine. That's okay. The bigger issue here, though, is is that, uh, <laughs> I don't know, the point of this article was that uh, law professor John Ban- Banzaff, I'm not exactly sure. You know, there's so many unique names in the world out there. It's amazing to me. Every story we read, I'm like, wow, it's a new last name I've never heard of before. Uh, he, he, he said this. He said, high-level high officials in the Trump administration, especially if their faces are likely to be recognized by many in the public, might want to consider applying for a license to carry a concealed weapon in the District, district of Columbia. Uh, John Lott, of course, people should be familiar with John Lott, president of the Crime Prevention Research Center, said there are simply not enough police in D.C. or Virginia or Maryland to protect all Trump officials at their homes and when they go out to restaurants, nor would it be reasonable, right? Getting a concealed carry handgun permit would be helpful to protect themselves and their family. All right, now you can get a permit now in in, uh, District of Columbia. Um, It's not easy. It's quite a lengthy process. It's also expensive, but it is possible. Uh, and so that's, what's interesting here is that we're seeing, I mean, I've never seen anything like this before where openly in the media, it's being discussed that, Hmm, maybe these folks working in Trump's administration should consider getting a permit for personal protection. And why? Because of everything that we've just talked about up to the, up to, up till now, Matthew, as far as the, this lack of civility and this encouragement to go out of our way to confront, to embarrass and to ridicule uh, people that work in our presidents. And yes, he's, he is all of our president. Uh, you might not have accepted, you, or you might not accept that. You might not have voted for him. That's fine, whatever. But he is our president. And that's just what's so shocking to me here is that we are openly encouraging uncivility, that we be uncivil with these people. They, they are just trying to do their jobs. And literally, in some cases, in some of the in some of these people's 
you know, some of these lower level aides, like it's literally just their job probably. And they, they might very well believe the whole agenda and all that. That's fine. Uh, some of them might not. Like for some of them, it might just be a job. Like that's just what they do. And trust me, I've worked in government and there are people that will work on both sides, meaning regardless of who's in power, they like they don't care. That's their job. They're a political analyst or strategist or something, and they, they'll go both ways. For them, it's just a job. <laughs> so anyway, look at what happened to Steve Scalise. You know, he, he ends up getting shot um, out at, remember, at the, uh, the softball practice. And that person baseball. was there. Baseball. Yeah, baseball. Sorry. Get, get your facts straight there, brother. <laughs> Overhand, not underhand. Uh, and he, he ends up getting shot because somebody was there to to inflict harm on any Republican because it, it, it just because of, of their political ideology. It's it's right. it's not far when 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 people go from yelling and, and it's totally somebody's First Amendment right. I get it, but it doesn't go far when you, it, it's not a far leap to have yep. people take it too far and uh, and have stuff like that happen. So I, I pray that that doesn't happen, um, but there has to be some reeling in of, of this type of rhetoric. It's, it's just terrible. Yeah, that's where we've got to dial it back. Uh, and, and that goes for both sides, by the way. If you are inflaming, like if you're on the right side of the aisle and you're trying to, you're doing your best to inflame things on the left as far as encouraging uh, harm or whatever, okay, to, that, that it might come to your, your opponents, then that's not right either. Like it goes both ways. I'm willing to say that. Okay. Uh, you'll never hear us on this podcast advocate for harassing, stalking, hurting, anything like that. Anyone, regardless of what side of the political issues they're on. All right. Uh, we sh- we need to be willing to have intelligent debates. We need to be responsible. We need to be decent human beings too, to one another. Okay, we can have strong disagreements. We can have awesome debates, but we still need to look at each other and recognize one another as, you know, a little bit of my own personal religious beliefs are going to come into this as our fellow brothers and sisters under God. Okay. So anyway, crazy. Breitbart.com, uh, speaking of inflammatory uh, media, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, so <laughs> this is a really interesting article, though. Psychologist bemoans U.S. gun ownership, admits higher level of rape in gun-free U.K. And so this is uh, coming to us from, uh, I don't know, actually know exactly where the panel or, I mean, it's probably in Washington, Washington D.C., I'm assuming, because we had a University of Michigan professor, Dr. Raul Huseman, he was speaking to the Federal Commission on School Safety. That's why I say it's probably in, in D.C., I would assume. Uh, but anyway, it doesn't actually say, I don't recall where the, where this happened at. It doesn't matter. Um, but uh, this gentleman was, was testifying before this commission talking about how uh, he feels like violent video games and other violent media and things uh, are causing a lot of these uh, shootings. You know, especially amongst youth. Okay, um, another gentleman, uh, Stetson University's Dr. Christopher Ferguson, countered him. But what was interesting is that these two professors had common ground in pointing fingers at widespread private gun ownership in America. In other words, because of the widespread gun ownership that we have in this country, uh, that that is a common tie to you know that's a link to 
uh, why we have these these violent crimes committed with guns. All right. But what was interesting is in his notes, which he released to the commission because he didn't have a chance to finish talking about all of his different points. Uh, if you read in his notes, he r- writes about the differences in crime statistics between the United States and the United Kingdom. And he, his, this is, I'm quoting him. He wrote, contrary to what many think, well-done studies have shown that the risk of being violently victimized in the U- United Kingdom has been higher than in the United States for most years since about 1995. That is true for assault, robbery, rape, and many other violent crimes. But it is not true of homicide, of firearm assault, or school shootings. Obviously, weapon availability makes a difference. Going on with the article, which is an article written by A.W.R. Hawkins, and he puts out some fantastic stuff. Uh, says here, there are a number of points that need to be made here. First, notice the UK has led the US in assault, robbery, rape, and many other violent crimes since approximately 1995. The UK issued a virtual ban on handguns in 1997. Secondly, concerning levels of homicide, firearm assault, and other means of violence, a side-by-side comparison between the UK and US is not a comparison of apples and apples, but of apples and oranges. Of, Of course it is. We are two very different countries. But he says this, this is because the British changed their method of categorizing many crimes after their 97 gun gun ban in an effort to make the ban look like a success. Ooh, intriguing. In 2013, Breitbart News pointed to a report showing that the Brits freely admit to massaging crime figures and are vigorously and openly beating their statistics to a bloody pulp as they have created a stunningly large bureaucracy to deal with crime figures. <laughs> this is really intrig- intriguing, Matthew. Mm-hmm. I-, I never really considered this, but apparently it's well known that the Brits massage their crime data numbers. We had a comment, by the way, a few minutes ago from someone on Facebook that said, all statistics um, are... Or error, or let's see, what what do you say? Biased? Where where'd that go? Anyway, but it, I mean, there statistics by nature. I mean, like oh, here it is. Chris says all statistics are flawed. Mm-hmm. The question is, is how much are they flawed? And obviously, a good statistician would do their best to make sure they get you know the least possible you know amount of flaw or error in their numbers. But when you have a country that apparently <laughs> its government it, you know, it's well known uh, that they've created this bureaucracy to deal with crime statistics to a point so much so where uh, they are actually managing. There's probably a lot of opportunities for failure in that system. So whether intentionally or not intentionally, and it sounds like it might even be almost somewhat intentionally, that they're actually in uh, by you know massaging their numbers, making them look pretty, making it fit the narrative of what uh, politically. Uh, their government wants the, the numbers to show. So we, I guess we can't really trust anything that comes out of the UK or that our politicians, our anti-gun politicians like to use and against us as far as using the UK and elsewhere in the world, per, perhaps, as being these bastions of, of <laughs> well, I don't know, like almost you know, these, these utopias as far right. as gun gun laws are concerned you know our country is because we outlawed guns we confiscated guns it had how low our numbers are sorry yeah they no 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 they that that is common um i know i i read an article 
um, or a study that showed that um, I, I believe it was Norway. I, I want to, all those like Nordic countries kind of like confuse me sometimes and I get them all confused. Um, but I believe it was Norway and they were, it was the way that they were reporting sexual assault crimes. And um, it was, it, it basically, you know, they basically just, the way they reported them uh, made it seem like there were no, like their sexual assault uh, problem wasn't increasing. And it was like tenfold, but the, that they didn't want, the government didn't want to admit that these policies um, that they were, that they were enacting were leading to these, this drastic spike in, in sexual assault. And so, yeah, I mean, it, look, if, if you're a politician and you can control the media and you can control information that goes out and you want to keep in power or stay in power, you don't want to pr- present stats that show that under your, you know, uh, you know, rain or, you know, your, your power that, that, uh, everybody's unsafe. So of course you manipulate it, you massage it, you, you, you hide information or, or change the way it's reported. So yeah, I can go out there with a straight face and say, Hey, we don't have any violent crime, mm-hmm. but in the back of my mind, I know, well, yes, we would have had violent crime. We have the same amount of crime, if not more, but the way we're classifying violent crime, we just won't call it a violent crime. So, you know what I mean? Like the only violent crime is a nuclear bomb is dropped, right? That's the only, so we're, we have no violent crime. Well, yeah, you still have violent crime. You're just changing the, the verbiage of it. And so what I found strange in this is that like this person saying like, or, or this uh, uh, professor saying, um, you know, yeah, we, we understand that, you know, uh, violent assaults and violent crime has gone up, um, but school shootings and death by, you know, or homicide by firearm has gone down. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that you want to replace one with the other. I'm not saying school shootings are good and, 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 and homicides are good. I'm just saying like, it, is it really a, a win if you ban a firearm, but you still have violent crime going up? Is that like, is that your goal? Right. And I don't, I don't think that's the ultimate goal. So I think you have to look yeah. at something outside of just banning a firearm. And by the way, homicides is not the only thing that needs to be considered where, you know, where like homicide is not the only thing to uh, do a cost benefit analysis on whether gun ownership and, you know, in the hands of private citizens is, is a good thing or not. Right. Because how many situations do we see resolved because a firearm is present or is used that are simple assaults or, uh, well, it should be a simple assault necessarily, probably pull out a gun. I don't know. It depends. depends on the situation, of course, as, as it does, does all things. But I mean, robberies and burglaries and rapes and sexual assaults, uh, kidnappings, uh, break-ins, you know, burglaries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, these are all things that the fact that we have an armed populace, we're able to affect like we see crimes stopped and or prevented because of the fact that we have citizens that own and carry guns in this country. So we can't just like, they want to point at homicide and how different it is between the UK and here. But we also have to look at, at the whole of it as far as the whole of crime and crime in a lot of different categories is higher 
in the UK per capita than it is in the US. Hmm. Interesting. Go figure. Consider. Um, so one other thing the article points out at the very bottom is how there have been more homicides this year in London than there have been in the in New York City. That's interesting and maybe surprising, but I don't know. I don't know what bearing that has. I mean, it's it's not like NYC has favorable gun laws, although at least you can own a gun in NYC, whereas you basically can't in London. So I don't know. Maybe that's the point. I, I, <laughs> who knows? But, you know, one of the very earliest uh, podcast episodes uh, where we covered news stories, well, we've always covered news stories. I remember a story way back, this is going back probably two years, where we reported on one of the, it was a police new, uh, a police website in the UK. It was kind of like an FAQ section. And like, there was questions, you know, like, what what can I use to defend myself from a sexual assault or something like that, you know, uh, outside of my home? And basically what the response from the police there in the UK was that, well, you, you basically can't use anything except for like a rape alarm. You know, you can't use pepper spray. You can't carry a knife. Can't use a knife. Can't use a baton. You, you can't carry anything that might be or might be perceived as a weapon or classified as a weapon in the UK. You can't carry anything with you for your, you basically can't use self-defense out on the street in the UK. It's basically what it comes down to. I mean, maybe hand to hand, but even that you got to be careful with. Like the, the laws there are so different than here. Self-defense is viewed so differently in the UK than here. And so that story has always stood out in my mind. The fact that you have police in the UK saying, you, you can use a rape alarm. So you can have this device with you that you can push a button and it will emit a very loud siren or tone in theory, scaring away the, the rapist or at least at the very least, maybe alerting others in the area that there's something back going on. At which point you're expected to wait for police to arrive. That's so, terrible. you know, that's, that's, that's what we're talking about here. I mean, things are just so, bizarrely different between the UK and the US. Uh, I'm happy and proud of the fact that we are able to carry firearms on our person, that we can carry concealed, that we have a right to self-defense in a variety of contexts. That is a privilege. And I hope it remains, you know, that I hope it that, that we continue to have that privilege for many, many years to come. We got to move along here. Uh, Matthew, why don't you tell us about this story in the Ikea? Oh, gosh. So, yeah. So, basically, uh, concealed carrier goes into Ikea and um, sits on a couch. I assume it's probably comfy and everything, kicks back, and their concealed carry firearm falls out of their pocket. Uh, The person has no idea that this happened, gets up, walks away. Um, and of course, you know, where this is heading child picks it up or child sits down in the, in the comfy sofa a little bit afterwards, picks it up, fires the gun. Thank God. Nobody's injured. The child isn't injured. Nobody else is injured. But, um, this underscores every single thing that 
that we always harp on and, and I get comments that, you know, you know, you guys are always going over safety and all this and this and that. And, you know, it's, it's so basic. And if it's basic, if, if you can't take a second to reaffirm in your mind that, you know, I have a holster that holds my gun and doesn't allow it to fall out of my pocket, like pocket carry is fine, but there's, there's, holsters that keep the gun in your pocket. If you can't confirm that, you know, or assure that yourself that you know what you're doing with your firearm, that you keep it on your person. So a child doesn't ultimately end up with it in their hand, then I'm sorry. And this is probably going to offend a lot of people, but you have no business carrying a firearm. You just simply do not have any business carrying firearm. If you cannot keep it, keep it on your person. I'm sorry. It's just, it's on, it's, just not responsible. And yeah, it's your right. And, 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 but it's also your right or your obligation to not allow that firearm to fall out of your pocket into a couch at a store. Um, so, you know, it's a problem. That's a, that's a huge, huge problem. And, And I have to wonder, like, did the guy not notice that it was missing? Like how long, we don't really know. Uh, how much time transpired between him losing the gun and this kid finding it. But any amount of time, I mean, like I know that like the ideal is for us to have a holster that's so comfortable that we don't notice or feel uh, any discomfort with carrying the gun. Right. At the same time, like I am always aware regardless of how comfortable the holster is, I'm you you have to be aware that you have your gun on you and understand that if it's not there. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's terrible. It's just terrible like situational awareness, personal awareness, responsibility, understanding that you I mean you have a firearm on you. This is not we're not talking about, you know, uh you forgot an ink pen in your clothes and you wash your your clothes and it blows up in your pocket and ruins all your clothes okay, that's something dumb, right? Like, but we're talking about a firearm, man. Like you have a (laughs) firearm, take some responsibility to understand what the heck you're doing. Yes, it's your right. I understand, but it's not your right to put other people in jeopardy because of your stupidity. And for this guy, I can't, there's no way I can cut this or slice it or say, you know, I can understand. No, I just can't can't get behind anybody or, or massage this story any other way than the person has no right to be carrying a firearm, at least in the mindset that he had right there, go get some training and then come back to me. (laughs) You can figure out how to keep a gun on your person without it falling into, you know, getting in the hands of a child. Fine. But I'm sorry. I just, this, this kind of stuff infuriates me. Yeah. Get some training, but it's not only about training. It's also about like we have to be critical thinkers as concealed carriers, as gun owners. We have to be critical thinkers. We have to think things through. And I mean, understand that what we carry on our person in this firearm, that it comes with a great deal of responsibility. It is an extremely dangerous object if not if treated improperly, if not treated with respect. So if you can look at your holster or the way you're carrying, and if your gun comes out of that or, 
or whatever too easily. Like use your brain and go, okay, there's a problem here. Like my gun shouldn't just slide in and out of this holster, you know, willy nilly. Um, I don't know. We just have, we have to be constantly like trying to educate ourselves and studying concepts, dealing with concealed carry and self-defense and then critically thinking and applying those things that we learn in our own context, day-to-day context, to the best of our ability. We have to do that. That's a responsibility that's incumbent on us. So here's the other thing. This is an Ikea that, you know, this is a, a, a business that has a, a no weapons policy. It's a gun-free zone. Now, I know that there are those out there that say what they don't know doesn't hurt them. And maybe the law for the state that this is in is not enforceable, that it is not a criminal act by me ignoring their anti-gun policy. Okay. And that's, I get that. It's fine. Um, at the same time, I, I, I think it's also responsible to attempt to either not give those businesses business or not carry your weapon into that place of business. Now uh, there may be exceptions. Okay. And you got to do you, but this does not reflect well on all the rest of us when something like this happens. And that's my, that's my, that's my big beef with this story. Uh, you know, we're extremely fortunate that not, no harm came to anybody or especially a child. This is crazy. Like usually we read about stories and it's children in a home, children at a neighbor's home, at a family member's home, something where they, you know, a gun is not secured and the child gets a hold of it. Uh, maybe it's in a vehicle. That's happened many times. Vehicles can be particularly dangerous. If you are ever the type of individual that carries, you know, like puts a gun underneath a seat or in a glove box, uh, even using some of those vehicle type holster type rigs, you know, uh, Alien Gear's got one that's really popular right now. It's being advertised everywhere I look on social media. And I I am not a fan of off-body carry, even inside the vehicle, because this is one thing we probably don't talk about is the possibility or likelihood that I forget that the weapon is there in the vehicle that I leave it behind. And maybe I slip away for a minute and my child's still in the vehicle. And I, I'm not, you know, like that, that's totally plausible. That can happen to anybody where they simply forget uh, or they're lazy or whatever. And a child is unsupervised inside a vehicle, even for just seconds you know, and they get their hands on a gun. So anyway, we're lucky that that child didn't get hurt. We're lucky no one else got hurt. That's really what it is. It's luck uh, as far as how I see it. The big beef is that this guy reflects poorly on the rest of us because he ignored a gun policy by a business. I know I'm going to get some hate over this. I know I see it on social all the time. I interact with people all the time that are saying, I'm still going to carry my gun in there. Okay, you do you, but know that, and even if it's not a legal liability type thing, like like where you, even if you might not necessarily face charges getting caught, and I don't know what the, I don't know what's going to play, how it's going to play out with this guy here. Um, it didn't really say if anything is or is not going to happen to him legally. Could he get sued by IKEA? Totally. And that, boy, that would be bad for him. I mean, this is a big company with a lot of resources and probably some pretty decent attorneys that could go really bad for him because he chose to ignore a policy. So, I mean, I'm, I'm only trying to point out 
the risk that is taken. You can choose to take that risk. That's fine. And I will admit, I have taken that risk from time to time because of various situations or circumstances. But it's something that you have to understand what the potential consequences are. And there are many if something doesn't go quite right or you make a mistake. All right. First justified save story. This one out of Akron, Ohio, I believe. A man visiting his mother shot and killed a 41-year-old man trying to break into the Akron home early Saturday morning, police say. The resident called police to report a man trying to break into her home shortly after midnight. The resident's 36-year-old son struggled to keep the man from coming in the back door. The resident grabbed a handgun and gave it to her son who shot the intruder, police say. The two men continued to struggle and the son shoved the man out of the house and fired another shot. Police found the man in the backyard where he was pronounced dead. Send an ambulance, the upset resident told a dispatcher in a 911 call. My son had to shoot him. I'll come back. The woman told the dispatcher that the doorbell rang and she went to the front door while her son went to the back door. She said the man kept trying to break in and her son shouted at him, get out of here and get off my mom's property. But the man didn't listen. She said neither of them knew the man. No charges have been filed. The shooting remains under under investigation. Uh, The incident could and likely should, based on the facts as we can see them here, end up resulting in no charges. Under Ohio's Castle Doctrine, homeowners may use deadly force to protect themselves against an intruder. Castle Doctrine is a little bit more nuanced than that, but okay. Uh, Media usually doesn't get it quite right. Uh, Also, Ohio has another unique thing in its statute, and I saw a comment on Facebook just a little bit ago. I don't remember who it was. It said something about stand your ground law. Uh, And by that, I, you know, I, 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 I would actually say, stand, so, so stand your ground law in Ohio, I think was, was going to be voted on or something, Matthew, am I right? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple it, of different it, bills. It make it. Well, there, there's a watered down bill that they were trying to pass by to kind of just like facilitate like, okay, here, we'll appease you guys, but it's so watered down that it doesn't, and you know, Ohio has the most terrible uh, self-defense laws. So this is kind of like a quick fix, like, okay, we'll just throw them a bone. And so um, it was actually kind of a good thing that this bill didn't pass because there, there's an amendment that really needs to be tacked onto the bill to make it actually uh, worthwhile. And so, um, but yeah, it's going to come up again. We're, we're It's going to continue to be pushed. Yeah. An even perhaps bigger issue with Ohio law is because by the way, staying your ground would have no bearing probably on, on this particular story we just shared. Um, Castle Doctrine, yeah, I suppose, right? But but a bigger issue is preponderance of the evidence versus, right? Like, yeah. That, that's, so Ohio law where it comes to self-defense law is very unique. It's, it's basically the one state in the country where a self-defense case uh, you as the good guy are at greater risk. You're basically guilty case. until proven innocent. You, yeah. you have to enter a an affirmative defense to use uh, an, a, a self-defense claim. So yep. you actually have to show certain things 
um, or, or meet the burden of proof on certain aspects um, before that before um, you can be, be use that that self defense claim where the prosecution doesn't have to prove that you didn't. You have to prove that, yes, I checked this box, I checked that box, and I checked this box. And they say, okay, well, yeah, now we can, we can c consider that you're using uh, your claim of self-defense. Absent that, absent you proving that, then you can't use self-defense. So you're on the hook for whatever that prosecutor wants to charge you with. So it's, it's so backwards that it's, it boggles the mind. Yeah. Yeah. Now, anyway, so... Ohio has some interesting considerations, things that you want to be aware of, especially if you live there or if you're going to visit there. Like I'll, I will be in a few weeks. I will need to be thinking in my mind that <laughs> at least potentially that if I have a situation arise while we're together, Matthew, <laughs> in a class that uh, I have to have a better case. I think the facts need to be a little bit, you know, needs to be a little bit more black and white perhaps in Ohio than it could be in some other States. Is that fair to say? It's fair to say, and you have no pretrial uh, protection. So you, you, they can charge you with whatever you want and they don't even have a pretrial uh, like a, a evidentiary hearing to see right. if there's even probable cause to move forward. They just charge you and you're, you're on the hook for an attorney right off the bat. So it's, yep. it's all wacky out here. Good <laughs> thing Cincinnati and Columbus and Cleveland, they're not very dangerous cities. <laughs> yeah. So, well, anyway, so back to this case, uh, I, I'll still be surprised if charges are filed, but um, scary stuff, you know, when, and, and be prepared. Like even when you're going to be on the road traveling or visiting family, um, you, you can't let your guard down. You know, this guy was visiting his mom and something really terrible went down. Next story. Patron halts armed robbery at Rudders. I'm not even sure what Rudders is. Is that like a? I have no idea what it was a before. Restaurant. I... <laughs> I have no idea what that is. Uh, they, they, you know, obviously a lot of the news stories we read on the podcast are from local news sources, and so obviously it's assumed that if you are local to where this occurred, you understand what the heck they're talking about. So anyway, apparently it's some sort of business. We know that. Uh, Saturday morning, an attempted ar ar armed robbery occurred, uh, and this was stopped by an armed customer. It was about 3 a.m. The suspect enters the rudders, whatever place of business this is. An employee saw the suspect and fled the store from another entrance. You know what? Good on that employee. You know, like that's not a bad play. You see someone that's dangerous, that is armed, that comes in to rob a place, and you have an opportunity to just get out. Uh, okay, cool. You know, like that's that's totally acceptable. However, uh, the suspect displayed a handgun, continued into the store where he was briefly confronted by another armed customer. And I don't know whether that customer didn't have the same opportunity to flee uh, or if they just chose to take things into their own hands. Uh, either way, uh, they produced the firearm. I, it, that's all it says is an armed customer. It doesn't say they actually drew it or even fired it. In fact, there's no mention at all of shots being fired. That's what's so interesting about this story. We just know that this, that, that this uh, uh, robber is confronted by an armed customer and he flees the store. Interestingly enough, the story does mention that the customer is licensed to carry a firearm in Pennsylvania. 
once again, media, please help me. <laughs> Can we please get it right? That they are licensed to carry a firearm likely concealed. I'm not aware of any other licenses in Pennsylvania <laughs> other than a concealed carry license or permit to carry that firearm concealed. So uh, they just drive me crazy when I read these stories. But it is interesting that they do mention that in the story. We don't always get those details. Um, so they're still looking for the dude. He's wearing a red hoodie and black mask. Okay. <laughs> interesting story. You know, there's some interesting takeaways from this. What, what, what are your thoughts, Matthew? Yeah. I, the reason why I thought this was really good, and it's not as dramatic as like some of the, our other stories, but I thought this was really good because this is those stories that you won't hear about really. Um, you won't hear it from pro-gun or anti-gun people. You won't see it appear in any statistics as far as crime statistics through, um, uh, through, you know, um, uniform crime report, you won't see anything, right? Um, and this is a robbery, uh, an armed robbery that was averted with no shots being fired. Um, and we don't know, I mean, one, I believe it kind of says that one firearm was produced by by a concealed carrier or the, the employee, but the other one, we don't know if the, the firearm was, you know, brandished or anything, but it averted, you know, it, it, basically it stopped this dude from doing whatever he planned on doing. And, you know, he goes down the road and robs another place, you know, that, that maybe doesn't have people with that have firearms. Right. And so, um, you know, it says the suspect is described as a black man wearing red hoodie, black mask. The same person is believed to have committed another armed robbery at a Turkey Hill, which is like a gas station in Derry Township, 40 minutes earlier to the incident uh, in this location. So, so this guy is going on a series of committing armed robberies at different gas stations or, you know, whatever they are. Um, so he commits one at one place because he wasn't in confronted by an somebody who was armed. At this one, he, he he has to go to a weaker target, you know, a softer target. And this is what we talk about, like not being a soft target. You just, when you create gun-free zones or not allow people to carry firearms, you create a soft target where a yeah. criminal is, is able to operate. And so this is, I think this is a perfect kind of picture of why concealed carry, having firearms, uh, uh, armed citizenry, responsible, not the dude in Ikea, responsible armed citizenry um, reduces crime or averts, you know, averts crime. And it might push it to the next, to the next area um, because criminals are motivated, but you know, at least for those people in that rudder's place, it's great because they didn't get held up at gunpoint and, and terrorized and, and maybe killed, maybe injured. So I don't know, even though no shots are fired and things like that, it's not as, you know, glamorous as, as some of the other um, uh, stories. This is, these are the stories that matter just as much as any of the other ones. Yep. Oh, it's, it's so true. Uh, in a, I think it's at about, I think in, oh, there's a fairly substantial percentage. I have to go back and look at our statistics that we've been working on, uh, on these types of cases. Uh, but I want to say it's like 20% or something. It's pretty, 
you know, it's a bigger number than I would have guessed of situations uh, uh, of, you know, justified saves, like these stories we cover, where people don't have to fire a shot. And uh, that's pretty, pretty cool. You know, I mean, like, just the fact that you present the firearm uh, or that a firearm is present, it is enough to de-escalate and or prevent or stop the situation. That's just as valuable and perhaps a better outcome for everybody involved. Yes, even for the good guy, because there's usually a lot less liability for them, both from a, especially from a criminal, but it's, but even perhaps more importantly, uh, just because it could be financially ruining for the person from a civil perspective. If you don't have to fire any shots, you're like many, many, many times less likely of facing a lawsuit, uh, you know, because of the situation that occurred. And if you have an expensive everyday carry gun, you don't want to be taken as evidence, right? So, (laughs) (laughs) all right. So Matthew, Share with us a story of this next one here. Man shoots at alleged car thief who struck his vehicle twice. Yeah, this is a crazy kind of nutty story. So Winston-Salem, North Carolina, uh, gunshots were fired Thursday afternoon in in Winston-Salem after a man allegedly crashed a stolen vehicle. Winston-Salem police uh, said Bernardo Antonio Downing was driving a vehicle about 4 p.m. that had been stolen from the foreign block of North Main Street. As he was driving the car south on U.S. Highway 52, police said Downing collided with another vehicle. Downing continued to drive to the 300 block of Dixie Broadway where he collided with a parked car before turning around and speeding towards the man who had been driving the car he initially hit. The man fired a single round from his personal firearm striking the car Downing was operating. Downing collided with the man's vehicle once more before driving from the area. Um, then officers find the stolen car and arrested Downing um, without incident, probably um, happy to be in custody and not being shot at anymore. Uh, (laughs) He was arrested for an outstanding warrant, no kidding, and violation of probation from a previous burglary charge. Wow. Um, So this, yeah. Um, Yeah. So, you know, this is crazy because you don't know where you're going to be when you you, you might not be the target, the initial target of the bad guy, right? So this guy is driving his car, he gets hit you know, by somebody uh, in the stolen vehicle. And then the guy ends up crashing again, turning around, coming back and coming at, at the dude that he, you know, he hit his car. And, and so now this guy's in fear of his life. Like he's going to get run over by this vehicle. This is out of control being driven by this out of control lunatic who obviously has no concern for human life and, uh, and ends up shooting at the guy. And, and, you know, I don't know if that's what caused him not to be hit or by the vehicle or whatnot, but, um, it doesn't appear as though there's an investigation into the shooter. So I would imagine that based on the evidence they're saying, yeah, the dude was coming, driving the car at him and is reasonable to think that he was trying to hit him with the vehicle. Um, but yeah, I've seen it. I see it all the time. Um, especially, you know, police pursuits of, of carjackers. They're, they typically run a car until it's destroyed. They <laughs> jump out. They tr- they think it's uh what's the game? Um, Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto. They they think it's Grand Theft Auto. Best game just, ever. Yeah, they just they're gonna jack the next dude because you know it's it's what I see on the on the video game. So I'm just gonna jack the next person and and these people that are you know really not expecting anything you know end up yeah. in the middle of uh, of uh, somebody who's very violent and just trying to do whatever they can to get away from the police and. Uh, and it's, it's kind of a scary thing. We, we ultimately, you know, most of the time we think of, 
you know, if I'm in a shooting or if I'm, you know, the, the, uh, have to defend myself against somebody, I'm like the target of it, right? Like they're trying to rob me or they're trying to do this or that, but these, and, and you know, I'm walking down the street or I'm in a, in a store, but these types of things come out of nowhere. I mean, you're stopped at a red light and someone smashes in you and you're like, holy cow. And then you see police, you hear police sirens and this dude's like, get out of the car. And, um, it can be pretty crazy. So, um, this was a crazy one. This is, this is pretty nutty for sure. You know, I'm thinking that this guy gets hit and he stops and maybe gets out of his vehicle to inspect damage or to go like, Oh, Hey, you know, like, Let's exchange information. But that guy takes off, hits another car, and then starts coming back. And, init- and initially, you know, can you imagine? You might, you might think that, oh, he's coming back now to to deal with this situation. Right. Next thing you know, he's like revving in the engine, coming at you. Uh, that's a pretty scary situation. Now we've talked before in the podcast about the dangers of immediately exiting the vehicle when you get into a fender bender, because that is not an uncommon. Well. I mean, it's not like this happens all the time, but it is not unheard of for a carjacking to to occur uh, or some other violent encounter, be, you know, that is initiated from some sort of accident, you know, where they've created this accident to to get you stopped, to take advantage you, of you, to steal your vehicle, to hurt you, to rob you, whatever. Like that is not unheard of. Uh, you are, you know you are better off being in the vehicle. And I would say, even if that vehicle is about to get hit a second time, you're probably still better off in the vehicle than out of the vehicle. This guy put himself, and I, and I assume he's out of the vehicle because it says he fired the shot, right? Um, I suppose he could have fired from within the vehicle, but I don't think that's probably what happened here. Uh, and I'm, So I know I'm kind of, I'm making some assumptions here, but that that's how I perceive this. So just a caution, you know, don't make it in an automatic thing, a response where you get into a fender bender and you immediately jump out of the vehicle because that might be the diversion that has been created so they can ambush you. In this case, this guy was at great personal harm. If he was outside of his vehicle of being hit himself personally when that guy came back. So he's very lucky. But also, I'm glad he was carrying his gun on him. Mm-hmm. Once again, assuming he got out of the vehicle, I just talked a little bit ago about I'm not a, I'm not a fan of having my gun mounted or stored somewhere in the vehicle versus on my body. Now, if you have it in both places, and as long as you're responsible about that gun that's stored in the vehicle, then cool, that's fine, whatever. Like I think you should always have a gun on your person, even in the vehicle, even if it causes you some discomfort. Because you're, you have far more options when the gun is on you than if the gun is off of you. If the gun's off of you, you lose the option of using that potentially if you get outside that vehicle for whatever reason. I saw a video the other day on social. We, we could have almost made this a story, Matthew. Um, and I don't remember where I came across it, but it was uh, three or four thugs uh, that approach a man in his vehicle. and he initially gets out of the vehicle. Uh, now there is actually one of the thugs that opens the passenger side door and like gets in. And that might've been part of the reason why this guy gets out. Cause that's, that's pretty freaky. And then he also like, you can tell he gets out and he's like, leave me alone. You know, like get out of here that, you know, he's, he's having whatever exchange with these, these thugs and they're surrounding him. 
here's the danger. Here's, here's the problem of where this really went south for him. He forgot about the guy that got inside the passenger side. And I say forgot very much intentionally because whether I'm not saying he literally forgot about him, but he didn't think this guy was necessarily a threat to him because where he loses this fight between these four thugs and him, and it's basically, it's, it's all about a carjacking. They're trying to take, take his car from him. Where he loses the fight is when the thug that climbed in the passenger front door then climbs across the front of the vehicle and gets out right behind the car owner who just himself exited the vehicle. He doesn't see him coming, and he gets clocked from behind, from kind of behind the side. The dude just sucker punches him right in the side of the head, and he goes down like it's a knockout punch. And another thug jumps on his head with his with his foot, and then they jump in the vehicle and they take off. Right? I mean, so the point is, like, lock your doors, remain in the vehicle. It's safer there, chances are, than almost any other possible, you know, like there might be times where you got to get out of a vehicle. I get that. There's exceptions to everything. But more often than not, in these types of situations that we cover on the podcast, you you, you just want to make sure that you're not automatically jumping out to deal with a situation and pose, putting yourself at greater risk. That, hap- that It happens far too often where people put themselves at risk because they get out of the vehicle. Remember, I can still draw and use this weapon that I'm carrying on my person inside the vehicle. If they continue to pose a threat to me outside of the vehicle or if they, if they begin to breach that vehicle and they have weapons, like I can still defend myself from within that vehicle. It might not be ideal, but it's probably better than some of the alternatives. All right, last story here, guys. Justified save number four for today's podcast. This story, boy, uh, I think I sent this one to you, Matthew. I was like, this is crazy, dude. <laughs> this is bizarro land right here. Um, mom shoots armed man who flew around the world to track down her teen daughter. <laughs> that, that headline alone is gold. I mean, I just, it's like, what? Okay. So get this. This is in Virginia. FBI is investigating a woman shot a New Zealand man outside her Virginia home Friday afternoon to be clear. Cause, cause I know this from the story. She's not outside the home. He's outside the home. She's within the home, but she shoots him before he's able to get into the home. Okay. That's a little bit of the, of the foreshadowing here, but get this Troy Skinner, age 25 flew to Virginia to meet the woman's teenage daughter. She's four. This girl's 14 years old. He met her chatting online using discord, a service popular among gamers, by the way, a little side, you know, I'm going to a little sidebar uh, discussion here, guys. If you have children that are ages, honestly, seven or eight and up, like you need to be paying attention to what they're doing online and you need to be familiar with some of these services. I just recently, a few months ago, learned about Discord. And I mean, it's just, it's basically an online, you know, chat, right? It's so easy. Like some of these things, you don't even need an email address or whatever to sign up for. So, like, you can just use a phone number. If your child has a, has a phone, they can just plug in their phone number. They can plug in even, well, yeah, they've got to use the, 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 basically the phone number that that phone is going to be, you know, using the app because it's going to give you a confirmation code when you sign up. The point is, is, like, if, even if you're monitoring your child's 
uh, email, potentially even their text messages, you might not necessarily be catching everything. Meaning that there's some of these sort of third-party chat or texting services like Discord, uh, Line Messenger is another one. There's a few out there. If I'm just I'm just saying this because if you're not aware, you may not be aware, but these sorts of things exist, and that's how this 14-year-old girl communicated with and met this 25-year-old man, who then flies from New Zealand to Virginia, and within hours of arriving in Virginia, shows up at our house. Get this. This man had in his possession, where did it go? He had a knife, duct tape, and pepper spray that he purchased at Walmart just before he arrived at the family's home. So he shows up, bangs on the door with a brick, throws the brick through the door window. There's a picture here. You can see it's it's a back door with a, you know, so often the back doors have glass windows in them. Uh, which can be a security problem, something to be you know to to think about. Um, he throws the brick through the window. Her, the mother called her husband, and he told her to grab a gun. When he threw the landscaping stone through the glass door, the teenage's girl, teenage girl's mother fired twice, hitting Skinner once in the neck. He's expected to survive the shooting. Scary stuff here. I mean, this is a determined individual. Apparently, this is an image of him. I don't know. This is a determined man that yeah. chats with a 14-year-old, becomes obsessed with her. I mean, it has to be some level of obsession. Because oh, yeah. surely if you're just going to commit a sexual assault, like just, you know, willy-nilly, he could have done this in his own home country. But he was obsessed with this 14-year-old girl to spend thousands of dollars to fly all the way around to the other side of the world, buy weapons and other implement that might be used to aid in kidnapping and likely assaulting, raping, and or perhaps murdering this girl. This is, this is, wow. I mean, like I said, I said this to you, I'm like, dude, (laughs) you have got to check out this story because it's wild. This is, once again, I talked earlier about you cannot possibly imagine and plan for every scenario because this is not something that you imagine happening to your family. No, not at all. And, and I'm sure it caught the mom, the, the, even the mom. I mean, she had, she calls the, the husband to say, you know, this is what's going on. This dude's outside. He's probably outside. And she's like, I don't know what to do. I'm freaking out. And he's like, get the gun. And then the dude throws the rock or the, the, the paver through the window, because I'm sure she didn't call him after he threw the, the paver through the window. I, I wouldn't imagine. I, I think at that point it says she fires around. So, um, yeah, you can't, you can't, you know, plan for this type of thing. This is, this is, you know, in it, it, what I like about it is this dude travels around the whole world <laughs> to get a little bit of, um, I guess, you know, some education, I was, I guess in, you know, um, United States gun laws and, uh, and learn the fact that, Hey, guess what? In the United States, if you break into somebody's home, you might be met with gunfire. And if you want to try to kill and rape and murder uh, somebody else, maybe go somewhere else where there are they are less um, armed and less able to defend themselves. So you know, um, yeah, they let this be a lesson to the other New Zealanders out there that are planning on um, you know ex- escapades like this. That you know. <laughs> 
um, go to a different country where uh, where people are. <laughs> Let this be a lesson to any non-American. <laughs> Don't yeah. come here and mess with us. Because uh, we're able to defend ourselves. And that's the great thing about the Second Amendment and our right to keep and bear arms and why we so passionately fight for it. And um, it's not because we're nuts. It's not because we're paranoid. It's because there are evil, disgusting people like this throughout the entire world. And, um, and we yep. don't want them to injure our families or our loved ones. And, and, and it's as simple as that. Crazy stuff, man. Well, lots of good things to be learned from today's episode. That's for sure. Be safe out there, guys and gals. Uh, use common sense, be a critical thinker, continue to practice and to train hard, you know, and keep those skills sharp, all that stuff. Um, yeah. So a reminder, and I, you know, I got distracted earlier cause I had some weird equipment issue here with the audio, uh, that I was actually, when we were talking about the happy birthday America sale, happy bdayamerica.com, uh, I was going to say, we talked about getting a free hat for placing an order, but I was going to say we have a giveaway and the giveaway is a chance to win a Glock 17 custom built and designed, coated, all that stuff. It's a beautiful gun. Uh, it's a, it's a 1776 Glock is what we're calling it. 1776 theme. Uh, it's got, uh, in fact, I could probably pull up a picture for those of you that are still hanging around on Facebook. Uh, it is, it's got a, um, it's got stars and stripes all over it. It's got the Gadsden uh, uh, snake on the top. Uh, on the one side, it says join or die, you know, famous uh, saying, uh, I believe from Ben, ben Franklin. Um, and uh, it's got a, it's just got a lot of really cool motifs and, and little design elements going for it. It's a generation five Glock 17. Pretty cool, right? So I'm still trying to pull up the, we got a, picture here somewhere i think it's awesome man i've been seeing it pop up on social media it's awesome where is it i thought it would be on like if you go to happy birthday happy bdayamerica.com oh, there you go you gotta go all the way down to the bottom folks gotta go all the way down to the bottom and in the process you're gonna you're gonna scroll through all of the sale items that we have going on okay so here's the 1776 clock i mean this thing is beautiful it looks awesome it's got a custom stippling job. Okay. Colt, this is all done by Culper Precision. All right. Friends of ours have done a lot. They've done other gun projects for us in the past. Uh, last year's Fourth uh, of July, Independence Day, whatever. Uh, giveaway gun was also a, uh, a Culper Precision designed and built gun. Uh, just a, a lot of really cool, nicely done, you know, design elements on this gun. Um, anyway, you are going to have a chance of winning this gun. And all you got to do is participate in some way during the, the happy birthday America sale. That's it. You make a purchase, you join guardian nation, whatever during the sale, you have a chance to own, to be the lucky winner of this 1776 Glock. All right. And then by the way, this one is made in America. Okay. For anybody that's wondering. <laughs> all right. Yes. Glock builds, Glock builds thousands and thousands of guns. In Smyrna, Georgia. In fact, probably most of the guns, most of the Glocks people buy in America now are probably most of them are built in in uh, Georgia. Um, oddly enough, every Glock that I own is Austrian built, and I think most every Glock that Jacob has is 
Well, I think his Gen 3 is is Austrian. But I know his Glock 43 is an American uh, gun. But uh, anyway, this one, this this is a great gun. Got an awesome look to it. Uh, yeah, there's your chance. Go go check out happybdayamerica.com to get, uh, one, some really awesome gear for crazy low prices and to make sure you are entered in both for, like you're automatically going to get the free, I'm not wearing it today. I don't think we have the final design yet. You're going to get the, the free Guardian Nation 2018 hat for making purchases during the sale. And you'll have a, you'll be automatically entered into for a chance to win the 1776 clock. Happy BDayAmerica.com. I'm going to wrap it up right there, Matthew. Thanks for doing this episode with me today. Ah, oh, thank you. I, I'm happy to be here. Cool, man. Well, with that, everyone, you take care. You be safe out there. And a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. reminder that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws the concealed carry podcast concealed carry inc concealed carry.com and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm related incidents and laws but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this we cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast